This is day four of the 2008 Idlewild Bible School. Our second period teacher is Brother Anthony Whitehorn. His general topic is a life worth living. Today's topic is our responsibilities, part one. Brother Anthony. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Okay. Um, When I was in Japan around about, oh, a long time ago now, first time I went there, um, I spent a a whole week eating sushi, which is basically raw fish. Uh, And on the last day, I looked at the menu for breakfast, and I noticed what I hadn't noticed before, and it said, English breakfast. I ordered that, and it came. And we had, I had two fried eggs, a couple of rashers of bacon, fabulous, two big thick pork sausages, fabulous, and some cabbage. It's like you you so nearly got there, but you got the cabbage. Why did they put cabbage? Last night, we had an English roast dinner. You had English roast lamb, you had, yeah, nice baked potatoes, you had carrots, you had those beans, and you had a fairy cake. You guys, you guys, you told me it was cornbread. That's not cornbread. That, to me, is a fairy cake. It looks just like a little fairy cake that we have at tea time. It's not right. You know, I need to teach you what a good roast dinner is. Anyway, that was yesterday. This is today. We're now going to go and talk about... Well, let's think what we've been talking about so far. So, so far, we've been looking at our situation. And our situation, if you remember the first day, was... We're dead. Cards go back in the box. We're right down here. And when we're down here, it is a hopeless situation. But actually, it isn't checkmate after all. Why? Because our status has been changed. We have that opportunity if we just trust, just rely on God's grace, that it is sufficient that we can move from down here, a hopeless situation, and it's not checkmate after all. And we come up here to this status of living in grace. And it doesn't happen at the end of our life, at judgment. It happens now. And so what is, as we looked at yesterday, what is our response to that? Well, there are two responses. The first response is, what is our attitude? We're up here now. We're living in this state of grace. What is our attitude? And yesterday we realised that our attitude should be one of being like a piece of clay. Allowing God to mould us. To make us into a, a pot which he wants us to be. Not into a pot that we really want to be ourselves. And being rigid and closed minded. Because naturally that's how we are. So that's our attitude. And we also realise that our response should be some actions. What are those actions? And that's what we're going to be looking at today and tomorrow. I want to start off by <clears throat> uh, giving you two scenarios. My daughter. My daughter comes to me, first of all, and she gives me, she sits on my lap and she gives me lots of hugs and kisses and strokes. I said my hair, my balding head, okay, and gives me a kiss on the head there. And she seems really loving to me. Why? 
because she wants me to pay for a ticket for her to go to the movies. That's scenario one. Scenario two. I bought her a ticket to go to the movies. She comes home. She comes and sits on my lap. She strokes my balding head. She hugs me and she kisses my balding head. Which of those two are better? Absolutely. It's the second one, isn't it? Because the first one, she was doing something in order to try and get something. But the second one, she did it as a response as what had been done for her. The thing is, is that her actions looked exactly the same. But her motives were completely different. And that's what's so important about our response and our actions. You see, I put it to you that God is actually not really interested in what we do. He's not really interested in the things that we do. He is only interested in why we do them. We might teach in Sunday school. We might clean the hall. We might do the flowers. He's actually not interested in what you do. He's interested in why you are doing it. So why do we do those things? Why do we do those things in the meeting, in our lives? Do we do it in order to try and curry favour with God? In order to sort of, we know it's not, we're not going to, but sort of, you know, get up the pecking list in terms of earning our way to the kingdom. Is that why we do those things? Or do we do it as a response as to what has been already done for us? And that's really, really important. And that's something that I have learned over the last five years or so <clears throat> as to my reason for doing things is not because I want to curry favour with God, it's because what God has already done for us. He's already bought me the movie ticket. I'm already in this state of grace and because of that I should be motivated to go off and do things. And that's completely different from trying to do something in order to get something. <clears throat> so, those are the actions and that's the motivation behind it. And that's why, that's why I've tried to lead us to where we are now in terms of our situation, our status and therefore our response and why we do things. And what the two things should we do? Well, we, we talked about it really yesterday. Two responsibilities as Christians are these. We should be transformers. We should change. Absolutely we should change. That's why we are like pieces of clay. We should not be the same person as we were yesterday or the day before. This is a progression. But also, and what I'm really going to talk about, because I talked about transformers at Palm Springs, this is what I'm going to be talking about. We are stewards. We should look after 
what we have been given. So let's think now, for the rest of this session, about that idea of stewardship. We've been given certain things. So, so let's now, because of that, because we live in this state of grace, let's now move forward. Let's think a little bit about what stewardship is. Well, there you go. Um, a Greek word, two Greek words for it really. The first Greek word is epitropos, which means a manager. Epi means above or over, and tropos is a way, a character, a style, a mode. And oikonomos, which is overseer. And oikos means family, nomos to parcel out, to protect, to separate. Now it's mentioned, despite when you think about it, you know, this is our responsibility as Christians. Our responsibility is to transform and to steward, and yet stewardship is mentioned only 12 times in the scriptures. And actually, one of them was mentioned last night. Do you know which one it was? The end. Absolutely. So there's one of them. We shan't do the other 11. Um, but absolutely. So the ant doesn't have an overseer, it said. So this is our responsibility as a steward. Now then, what is stewardship then? As you now already know, I gave um, a seriously expensive and a very sentimental uh, watch to Linda last night. There it is. Um, Linda, how do you feel about looking after it? Uh, very careful. Careful? Very honored. Okay. I respected myself. I had something really precious. Okay, good. So, so she felt honored about it. It was really precious. She looked after it. Um, and you showed it off. Okay. That is actually some really interesting concepts there. Um, and did you use it? Okay. Okay. Actually, that is really interesting. I've done this once before at a conference, and I gave it to somebody. And uh, they were really worried about it. And what they did is uh, they also kept it overnight. So what they did is they took it away, and they put it in, their, in, a, in a drawer and locked the drawer up. And then the next morning, they got it out and they came to, to the little class that we had and they gave it straight back to me. You're going to be giving it back to me, okay? Just to let you know that bit. <laughs> and there's an interesting contrast there because what happened here is that Linda actually went around showing it off and used it. Whereas the other person made sure that it was all protected and locked it away. Let's just think a little bit about then what stewardship... Which of those two is stewardship? Because they both looked after it. Here is a working definition that I've just put together as to what I think stewardship, our responsibility today, happens to be. I put it to you that it is a way of life in which we regard ourselves and our possessions as a trust from God to be used in his service as a response to what he has done for us. Now we're going <clears> to <throat> sort of dig into some of those to see whether my proposition as a definition is, is worthwhile. And I'm saying here it's a way of life. It's not just something that we happen to do on a Sunday, but it's something that we do 24-7. And we look at ourselves Individuals, So God has given us our personality. 
that we have to steward, I'm suggesting. And our possessions. He's given us money. He's given us a house. He's given us our family. And it's a trust. It ain't ours. It's just on loan. I'm going to be having that watch back at the end of this session. And that's the same with God. It's not mine. It's his. And the key thing there, it is to be used. How? In his service. Why? As a response to what he's already done for us. He's put us in this state of grace and I want to use the things that he's already given me in his service. Let's now, what we're going to be doing now, we're going to do a little bit of Bible exegesis. We're going to have a look at um, a few passages. They're going to come up on here, so there's no need necessarily to turn them up, but if you want to, you can do. I don't mind. And that's where Peter got to. As I said on the very first day, um, what I'm trying to do here is actually summarise the first uh, epistle of Peter. And we're now actually at around about, parts of this is, is up at about chapter 4. We've done the situation, we've done the status, we've done the response, and now we're in the responsibilities. And um, it says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. So here it says, each of you, every single, it doesn't say some of you, it says each of you, or all of you, every single one of us, should put it in a drawer. No, no, should use. The Christian life is an active life. It is a dynamic life. It is a purposeful life. Therefore, use is a really important word in terms of stewardship. Whatever gift, and it's on loan, it's been given to us, it's completely undeserved, and God said, yep, I like your dick, there you go, I'm going to give you this type of personality, that's yours, now go and use it. Why? Why? To serve others. Uh, you know, I gloss over that so many times, that's why he's given us this gift. To serve others. If you have a look at Galatians, don't, don't, don't need to turn it up. Galatians 6 verse 2 is a really interesting passage. And it says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If ever you look at the good news version, that's the one with the pictures in it. <laughs> There's a great picture. There's a really, really good picture on the good news version depicting this passage. And what it does is it shows somebody carrying a burden, which is going behind them. And then somebody lifting up that burden and carrying their own burden. And there's somebody behind lifting up that burden, and, and so it goes in a long line. What is quite interesting as well is that they have quite big burdens. Just think, if you had a little burden, actually it'd be quite difficult, wouldn't it, for you, the other person, and you've got this big one. And that's why it's important as well to show other people that you have a burden to carry. You know, a number of people have talked to me in the couple, last couple of days um, about, I think it was on the first session, I talked about depression. And that depression was one of the, uh, it is the biggest malady that is taken to doctors in the UK. 
And from what everybody's saying, it's exactly the same in the States. We are rife with depression. And I tell you what, that is not immune from our community. We have many people in our community who are depressed. Our problem is, is that we don't tell anybody else about it. We wear those faces in our churches because everybody else seems to be doing fine. Oh, if I have a, an ailment, a physical ailment, you can see that and we all feel sorry for you. But depression or a mental ailment, oh, we don't want to be sharing that one because that shows weakness. We should be. Confess your sins, your problems to each other. And so in that way, your burden will be there for other people to lift up. And that is a responsibility. <clears throat> there are people in this room who are fabulous, fabulous at caring. The trouble is, is that they can't use that gift very well because they don't know that you need caring. So, Galatians 6 verse 2 is, carry one another's burdens because you'll be able to see them and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all know John 3.16 and isn't the Bible wonderful? Because how many of you know 1 John 3.16? Let's just look at it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son who shall believe in Him shall not perish. Now then, John 3.16 John, 1 John 3.16 says this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers isn't that wonderful how John 3.16 links in with 1 John 3.16 and that's our responsibility is to share one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and serve each other. That is why we've been given a gift. That is stewardship. And what does it say there? As faithful stewards of God's grace. <clears throat> God's grace has many facets and you are just displaying some of them. I am displaying just some of God's grace facets. And we have a responsibility to show them. That's what that passage is saying to you and me. So it's all about using, it's all about serving each other, and it's all about as a response to God's grace. Okay, so that's the first bit. Let's now have a look at another passage in terms of thinking about stewardship. <clears throat> so Romans 12 verse 4 to 8 I'll read it to you for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we though many form one body and each part belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying hey then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it's serving then serve if it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving them, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then lead diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
The great thing there is, is that we have different gifts. We are not all the same. I said before, we all look completely different. There's nobody in here who actually looks identical. We're all slightly different. That's how we can identify each other. And so it is with our gifts. We all have different gifts. There is nobody in here who's got the same gifts. Nobody. And I like that bit there where it says that, and each part belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. We don't go to a church, we are the church. We are part of this body. And being part of that body, we have a responsibility as well. And what is that responsibility? That responsibility is to use the gifts that we have been given by God. Because it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It's been given to us. There's nothing that I've done... And isn't it sad when, I, when people say, oh, if, if only I was like so-and-so. Or, I wish I could do such and such. Actually, that's not what God wants you for. He doesn't want you to be like so-and-so. He doesn't want me to be able to do the things that you can do. We should be grateful for what God has given us. How he's made, he's made us completely different. And thank God that he has. And of course it then goes on and says, use it. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. How should you do it? In accordance with your faith. If you're serving, well then serve. And teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, well then give encouragement. If it's giving, well I tell you what, don't just give. Give generously. And if it's to lead, then lead diligently. And if it's to show mercy, well, do it cheerfully. And I, I love some of those ones down there because <clears throat> we would understand that someone who perhaps can prophesy or someone who can do something that's quite dramatic, we'd say, that's a real gift from God. But what about encouragement? Would you say that encouragement was a gift from God? Well, not really. Absolutely it is. And in fact... It's exactly the same in terms of the hierarchy as it is in prophesying. There's no league table saying, the speaker, whoa, that's a great gift. But the person in the audience who listens, oh, that's a much lower gift. I tell you what, you're miles more important than I am. And the reason being is that if you weren't here, actually, I would look really sad. But you can get anybody to come up here. And it, you don't know what a great gift it is. There's a, there's a brother in our meeting who has the gift of listening. What do you mean listening? When you are a speaker, and speakers who know this, you look at your audience. It is so great when you've got someone in the audience nodding their head. and You're all going to be nodding your head now, aren't you? <laughs> nodding their head and looking at you, and you can tell that they're with you. That's actually a real gift. It's a real gift for a member of the audience to be able to do that. I'm not very good at it. Some people have been given that gift. And it is so, it is almost a gift. Well, it is. It's a gift of encouragement. 
use it. Let's now have a look at um, a tricky passage in terms of stewardship. Here we go. You probably can't read it. I'm going to read it to you. It's Luke 16 and it's the first eight verses. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, Well, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of the master's debtors and he said to the first, Tell me, how much do you owe my master? Ooh, 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Ah, That's a tricky one, that one, isn't it? And I've read so many different commentaries on this. Um, Just point out a couple of things, first of all. It says there, in verse 6, How much do you owe my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil. You know how, um, whenever it was, a couple of days ago, we talked about uh, that, when we talked about grace, and we said that Jesus' parables were ludicrous. This is absolutely ludicrous. Eight hundred gallons of olive oil is a complete year's crop of 450 olive trees. There is no way that somebody would owe that amount. That is a loose And what else does he owe? He owes, this other person owes, a thousand bushels of wheat. That is a year's crop from a hundred acres of land. There's no way that someone would owe that amount. But that's how much God's grace is. It's ludicrous in its generosity. And what has the servant, the steward, been doing with that? Well, it sort of says that he's commended, but if you say he's 
because he acted shrewdly it says there in verse 8 and in the Septuagint that is exactly the same word that is used in Genesis 3 verse 1 about the serpent I would therefore suggest that actually it isn't a particularly good trait but the real key is that verse 9 I tell you, the worldly, I, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Oh, what's all that about? Well, just remember, first of all, who was Jesus referring to these stewards? Who were these stewards? Well, we know in verse 15, at the bottom there, that, God, that Jesus was saying, these stewards are the Pharisees. That's who you are. You are the stewards. Okay. So that verse 9, what does it actually mean? If you've got an authorised version, it's a, it's a much better um, a translation. Because it says, in the authorised, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, that word friends of is the Greek word ek, ek, and it can be translated as friends of or friends away from. So let's just read it in a different way. Make to yourselves friends away from the mammon of unrighteousness. In other words, don't make friends with mammon. Why? So that when mammon is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings because what the Pharisees had done is they had diluted what they were in charge of and it seemed in everybody's eyes that they were doing a good job and Jesus is saying you are bad stewards why you've diluted the responsibility that God has given you and where there should be a thousand bushels actually you've only got 800 and so they were not good stewards they had actually used the world to make friends with the world and endear themselves to the world and God says that's no good because God was of course the master, the rich man the Pharisees were the stewards but this isn't about the Pharisees this is about you and me because we have been given gifts and the question is are we trustworthy with them are we using them responsibly are we even using them or are we diluting those gifts that God has given us Turn, if you would, to, to Luke. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse 47 and 48. Here's one. Here's, here's one that really sort of pokes us in the eye. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, 
Much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Let's read that last bit again. From everyone, verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We have been given a huge amount. In the teenage class, one of the things we looked at, we looked at money. And we did a little bit of research and we realised that all of us here um, on this camp are in the top 1% in the world in terms of wealth. All of us. We've been given a huge amount of money. And we've been given this. And we've been talking a lot more about that tomorrow. In terms of this is a wonderful gift. But just by being here, we've got a major responsibility to use. And are we diluting it? Are we being like the Pharisees? Because much has been given to us and entrusted to us, but much more will be asked. So we have a responsibility. And um, that's, of course, the parable of the talents and the miners. Um, There are two... (laughs) Stupidly enough, a couple of months ago, I didn't realise there were two different parables. I thought there was just one, but there's two. There's the miners and there's the talents. The difference between the two, you all know this, is that on the miners, they were all given one miner. But on the talents, they were given five, two and one. And that's the difference. Sometimes, we're all given exactly the same gift. That'll be this one. That's the minor. But on the talents, we've all been given different gifts. And of course, we still have responsibility to use them, whatever they happen to be. And isn't it interesting, is that Linda used the talent that she was given, but the other person that I gave it to, they put it in a drawer and locked it up. How similar is that to the person who was given the one talent? who said, I knew you to be a hard man, and so I hid it. And what did the master say? He said, you wicked and lazy person. Wow, that's a bit strong, isn't it? It's a bit strong because, actually, he hadn't done anything wrong. No. Because he hadn't done anything. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, hey, it's no good not doing anything. You have to do something. And that is the key to the talent that we have been given. And that's what he was castigated for. Because he really didn't know the master. Because that therefore said he had no faith. He was still down here. And he hadn't stepped up to here And as a response to what God has given him, think, then I need to use it. He was down here all afraid. It's no good being afraid. We've got to get up here and use it. So let's go back to that original um, quote that I said, or original um, idea that I put forward about Christian uh, stewardship. I said it's a way of life. I said, in which we regard ourselves and our possessions as a trust from God. It's on loan 
to be used absolutely how in his service why as a response to what has been done for us you know the best selling chair in the United States is the lazy boy you're all nodding you know it strangely enough it's not called the work hard boy And the manufacturers of Lazy Boy, they have made millions out of it. That's how we are. We like just sitting around. And uh, we like having a remote control, don't we, for our telly? Did you know? Did you know? Amazing this. Did you know you can now get a remote control whereby when you clap your hands because you've lost it, it will beep. The amazing thing is, is that half of you are thinking, I need one of those. <laughs> and that's how we've got to. That is our whole nature in life. It is about just taking it easy. But we should be motivated because what has been done for us to get up and do. Ephesians 5. Okay, and Ephesians 5, verse. Verse um, 16. Ephesians 5, verse 16 says this in my version For him, the whole body. That's the wrong one. Turn over the page. Uh, it says, making the most. So be very careful in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Again, the, the AV says, I think it puts it better, it says, hopefully it says, redeem the time. Redeem, absolutely. That is our response. We should redeem, we should buy back the time. Time, you know, a watch keeps it. A winning team plays for it. A basketball coach asks for it. A punctual person is on it. A conductor beats it. A railway train misses it. But the man of God is told to redeem it. That is our responsibility. Why? Why is it that when you get on an aircraft, that you're sitting on a seat and it might have cost you $400? There's a guy sitting next to you on his seat... He's going exactly the same direction as you, and that seat has cost him $20. That seems unfair, doesn't it? I'll tell you for why. The reason being is that it's a perishable commodity. When it's gone, it's gone. And they realise that actually, if we don't sell it for $20, we ain't going to get anything for it. That's exactly the same with time. It's perishable. You can't get back the last five minutes it's gone so make the most of every opportunity use the gift that God has absolutely given us because it will never ever happen again and that's what Jim was talking about last night about the ant that's the role of the ant he realised that he had to make the most of every opportunity we have to do something um, we bought for my daughter a doll's house. 
when she was about six. And uh, it had written on the outside, um, some assembly required. <laughs> her, her birthday is what, Doll's House, is that right? Yes, fine, okay. My, my wife does some translation every now and then, so, so that's good. Okay, it, so um, the, her birthday, my daughter's birthday, is on August the 30th. On August the 29th, at about 9 o'clock, I said, Sally, you really need to do that doll's house now. Not a problem. Hey, yeah. I get to this box, I open it up, it looks like firewood. <laughs> I then presented my daughter with just the box and the firewood in it and I said to her, this is your present, we'll make it up for you. Um, I gave it to my (laughs) father-in-law and he eventually put it together and he gave it back to her at Christmas. (laughs) Some assembly required, you're kidding. There was a serious amount of assembly required but actually that's what it says on our box as well. It says, some assembly required. You've got all bits. The trouble is it looks like firewood at the moment. And we have a responsibility to put it together. God's principle is, do something. Absolutely do something. But I also promise you, he said, I will never, ever abandon you. You know, you're up here. Your job now is to get on and do it because what I've done for you. But don't worry, you're not on your own. The trouble is, is you've got to take the first step. Think about poor old Naaman. There he was. He went out, wash, 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 wash. Seven times. And what did he feel on the sixth time? It's still there. I'm still leprous. And it wasn't until the seventh time that God acted. And that's how it is throughout Scripture. You know, Noah, 120 years. I've now been told it's 120 years since he was told that he was to build the ark right the way through and then God acted and brought the flood. That's how God works. But he says, you take the first step. I'm not going to leave you and then I will act. That's his principle. There's a great book called Art and Fear. Um, and it's a book on <laughs> teaching ceramics. You're going to be out and getting that one, aren't you? <clears throat> and in that... There's a little experiment that was done by a teacher of ceramics. And what he did is he got two groups. The first group, he said, right, all I want you to do is I want you to um, uh, make as many pots as possible. He said to the second group, I want you to make the best pot you possibly can. Just one. Do you know what? The best quality pot was made by the people who had made lots of them. And that's the thing. You see, we learn from our mistakes. And that's what this is all about. This is Timothy. (coughs) 2 Timothy 1, verse 14. So, keep at your work, his faith and love rooted in Christ, exactly as I set it out for you. It's as sound as the day you first heard it from me. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit, which works in us. We're to guard it, we're to nurture it. It's like a parent looking after the child. We have custody over it. And the Holy Spirit will work in us. God will work in us if we take the first step. That's what the Scriptures say. 
So, what do we realise then? We should be motivated by what he has done for us, not what we think we can get out of it. And that's completely different. We are stewards and transformers. And we are a doing people. We have different gifts and they are given to different stewards. And there is absolutely no gift which is better than another one. But we go first and then God actively helps directly in our lives. That's what he says. About the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And Peter, Peter picks all of that up in that move that we've been going through in the book of Peter and says this Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We should be active, we should be doing good deeds, but what are those good deeds? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow.